All right, good morning, Miss Yo. It looks like everyone is back. Man, it's good to see faces and um, to be with you. It's been a while since I've been on. And so uh, Dom is and Christine are out on vacation. And so we love that, that they, that our staff is able to, to get away and actually spend time um, away and resting like we're supposed to. And so we're giving him the week to, to regroup and to get away. And so I'm going to bring the word today. Um, and one of the reasons why we started out with communion is um, because I want to end with some reflection time, but also because uh, when we come together to, to hear that passage in Second Corinthians about reconciliation is, is really important to kind of set us uh, from the beginning of this. So we've been in a series for the last two weeks called Advocates. And it's off of a book uh, that, that's also called Advocates, um, written by Dehati Lewis, a black pastor in Atlanta, um, who's done a lot of work in community and in his community and beyond. Um, the work he does is, is based on biblical justice and biblical reconciliation, racial reconciliation. One of the main points that he makes is that as followers of Jesus, that um, we can either be ag aggravators or advocates. An aggravator is any type of engagement where the goal is not reconciliation, while an advocate is any type of engagement where the heart of and the goal of, um, of the engagement is reconciliation. So, of course, by the name of the book and also our basic understanding of scripture, it tells us that we want to be advocates, right? It's, it's just like what 2 Corinthians called the ministry of reconciliation. So we don't have to, I don't have time to unpack all the stuff that Dom has been teaching on the last two weeks, but it is online at missioportland.org if you want to go there and just um, catch up and kind of slog through it again. Uh, again, I, I want to let you know, this is hard conversation that we're having. This is stuff that is just kind of um, raw and in your, your face right now. I don't know about you guys, but over the past few months, I've been taking in so much information about racism, anti-racism, injustice, systematic racism, you know, racial reconciliation, and it's, it's really information overload. And then I, I open up my email or log on to social media and I see one news report after another request to, to write to this congressperson or that congressperson to sign this change.org petition or that one. And what I've really experienced is what Dehati Lewis calls um, a frozen aggravator. I've been so aware of the nuances of the situation and all the possible ways to offend or to fail that I'm frozen, that I'm paralyzed. You know, I've talked to so many people, some of you guys, um, and it's so big, I, I just, like, I hear people saying, it's so big, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't wanna do something or say something. Um, the wrong way. 
you know, and I think most of us can probably probably relate to that. There's almost a, a frozen, um, paralyzed position that we're in. So what I want to do is uh, today just take some time and, and talk about where to begin. What are the things that we can start doing to be those advocates that are desired in, in the Bible? And I want to remind you of this. The call to biblical advocacy is a call to personal transformation, a personal transformation that leads to systemic transformation. Again, I'll say the call to biblical advocacy is a call to personal transformation that leads to systemic transformation. So it starts with us personally, guys. I want uh, to give us some initial steps in that. And the work that Dehati Lewis um, has done in his book, he, he, he describes it as this. He says, advocates must rely on Christ. So two things that we're going to look at today. The first one is we must rely on Christ through prayer. We're reading through Philemon, this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And so we'll jump in there, Philemon 4-7. And remember, Philemon is just one chapter, right? It's one letter. And so it's Philemon 4, verses, or verse 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective to the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul writes this letter to Philemon, and one of the first things he tells him is says, I remember you in my prayers. Prayer is not just the first thing we get out of the way so that we can get to the real work. First and foremost, it is the real work. Prayer transforms our minds and our actions towards obedience. So when Paul tells Philemon that he's praying for him, it's not just some kind of like, oh yeah, I pray for you. It's, it's the work. It's first and foremost the real work. And he's saying, Philemon, I'm praying for you. We can look at Matthew 9. When Jesus commands us to pray for the harvest, he tells us the harvest is plentiful, for the workers are few. His first command to us is to pray for more laborers. Jesus doesn't command us to first go and train more laborers, to recruit more laborers, to educate ourselves, or to go out and harvest. He says, first, pray. Pray for the laborers. So our first action, our first posture is prayer. If we want to be advocates, we need to first pray. Philippians 4, 6, 7, it says, if you are anxious, pray. Let your request be made known to God, and he will give you peace that passes all understandings. Right? So, and even in Philippians, if you're anxious, pray. 
If you're feeling lost, pray. If you're feeling worried, pray. And let your petitions, let all those things be known to God. In 2 Corinthians 7.14, it says, humble yourself and pray. Guys, when we humble ourselves, we understand that we are not the solution, but God is. We are not the king. We are not on the throne, but God is. We humble ourselves. We know who we are and we know who God is. We have an understanding that we are not the solution. God is. So when I take time to repeat these scriptures and pray like this, I become, it becomes this true awareness for me to say, you are God and I am not. And that is a, it's not a little thing. You know, sometimes we, we use these piffy sayings of you're God and I'm not, you know, you're a king and I am not. But when we actually say it, when we repeat it, when we read scriptures that, that tell us that, it reminds us where we are. It humbles us. Dehati Lewis says this, prayer is important because it allows us to place our fear in the right place. Feeling the emotion of fear is an unavoidable is unavoidable in the midst of turmoil and conflict because fear is simply an emotion that lets us know we are not in control. We can rest because we know someone is. I'm able to turn and give all of my fear to the one who can actually do something with it. Prayer is important because it allows us to place our fear in the right place. If you think about it and you look at the example of Jesus, which we often do as disciples, we want to learn from the ways and works of Jesus and the words of Jesus. I look at Luke 22. Jesus is always saying, I can only do what the Father is doing. You see him in this pattern of going out and spending time in the morning with God or walking out in the evening into the hills and spending time with God. And then when we look at Luke 22, when he's about to go to the cross in the garden where he's He's feeling the most vulnerable. He's about to go and be our reconciler, right? Jesus, in his vulnerable, humble place as a human, falls down and begins to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus has to go to God, his father, and exchange his fears and his anxieties, his desire not to feel the pain, right? This cup feels unbearable. And he goes to God, exchanges it for God's kingdom desires. Jesus' prayer is what empowers him to take the role of an advocate. He goes to the cross to reconcile us to God as our advocate, as our reconciler. But first, what did he do? He prayed. Prayer is not just the first thing we get out of the way. It's actually the real work. First and foremost, it is the real work. So that's the first thing. We need to pray. 
And I know you've heard it over and over, and it seems like the simple thing, but really how hard is prayer for us to humble ourselves, for us to, to share our anxiety, for us to exchange our own desires, our own selfishness, our own comfortability, and exchange it for God's kingdom work to transform our minds, to transform our hearts, to walk in obedience. That is real work. So the first thing we do is pray. Secondly, we must rely on Christ through the full knowledge of God's grace. Paul writes to Philemon, and then in verse 6 he says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He is praying, Paul is praying specifically for full knowledge. And I'm gonna geek out on you for a little bit, but in the Greek, full knowledge means epinosis. It's firsthand, it's experiential knowledge. To know Christ fully is to know Christ intellectually and experientially. It reminds me of Peter walking on water, right? In Matthew 14, if you remember the story, Jesus had sent the disciples out. He sent them out ahead of him on a boat, right? The disciples were on the sea and they thought they had saw a ghost and they start flipping out but they realize it's Jesus walking on the water out to them. Jesus knows what they're thinking, so he says, take courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. And this is when Peter famously says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to the water. Peter has sat under Jesus and his teaching. He has intellectually known Jesus, right? He has seen Jesus do a bunch of miracles. So he knows Jesus intellectually and knows and has seen Jesus. He was on the mountain when Jesus taught the thousands of people. He was there and he heard the parables that Jesus would teach and, and talk to the Pharisees and others. He was there when Jesus personally explained those parables to the twelve. He was there when he saw Jesus perform miracles. He was there to see the 5,000s fed. He was there to see people raised from the dead, to see the lame walk and the blind see. Intellectually, Peter had put together that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. Jesus was the miracle worker. Intellectually, Peter really believed that. But Peter had to take the risk to step out of the boat, to test that and experience that. He had to put all those beliefs, put the weight of those beliefs, and live into it. What he had deducted in his mind, he had to put into action. When we become advocates and put ourselves in harm's way in pursuit of reconciliation, it allows us to know the face of God 
in our life experiences. When we become advocates and put ourselves in harm's way in pursuit of reconciliation, it allows us to know the face of God and our full experiences. It's what James in, uh, James says in chapter 2, verse 17, faith without works is dead. In Philippians 2.12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. These verses aren't about saying that we, we, we don't have salvation or we don't have faith. We actually already do, right? We've put our faith in Jesus. We've been saved by Jesus. We have those things. But those verses, faith without works is dead, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's to put our experience and feel the fullness of God's grace. We have muscles, right? But you have to work them out to be healthy. You have to work them out to be strong. We have faith, but you have to work them out or you're going to die it's, or your faith is dead. You have salvation, but you have to work them out and use it with fear and trembling. So Paul's request to Philemon is going to challenge him to fully know God's grace intellectually and experiment, experientially. We want, he wants um, Onesimus and Philemon to remember that it's not just about knowing the things thinking the right things, or saying the right things. It's about being the right thing. It's about knowing the full knowledge of God's grace in thought and in real-time action. As we walk in obedience, we'll be met by God's grace. We'll be met by God's grace that is required for us to actually be the advocate that we want to be, to be the advocate that the Bible speaks of, to be reconcilers. But it takes that walk of obedience, that full knowledge. Paul is asking Philemon to take the slave back. He says, you know what grace is. You know what salvation is. You know Jesus. You are a part of the family. Now I'm asking you to treat Onesimus as family. That's going to take a lot of grace. It's going to take that full knowledge of God's grace for him to actually do the work of an advocate. To be an advocate means that we will walk in the enabling power of God's grace and applying it to the brokenness of our human relationships. In this endeavor towards reconciliation, theological Theological understanding will not take us very far. The application of grace, the application of love, the application of truth is what will bridge the divides, not just the knowledge of it. I love 
to Heidi Lewis's quote here. I'm gonna read it one more time. To be an advocate means that we are walking in the enabling power of God's grace and applying it to the brokenness of our human relationships. In this endeavor towards reconciliation, theological understanding will not take us very far. The application of grace, the application of love, the application of truth is what, what will bridge the divides, not just the knowledge of it. Guys, this is what being an advocate, starting to be an advocate is about. We must rely on Christ. We must rely on Christ through prayer. We must rely on Christ through the full knowledge of grace. Those are the beginning steps. And they're not easy steps. How will you step into prayer? How will you exchange your desires for God's desire? How will you pray the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? How will you rely on the full knowledge of grace? What is that step that you need to take in obedience? The things that you know about reconciliation that now you have to exercise and work out. I want to invite you to rely on Christ through prayer. And so for the next, next Sunday is Silence and Solitude Sunday. Set out an intentional time to pull away, get rid of the distractions, to be silent with God, to come to him in prayer, exchanging your fear, your anxiety for his peace and his empowerment. Exchange your earthly desires for his kingdom desires. Start there next Sunday, pull away, give your spouse some time if you have those needs, if you have kids, take turns. If you're single, even take extra time if you have it. Just be intentional. And then on August 3rd, the following Monday to September 11th, our Missio family will join in 40 days, days of prayer and fasting for justice and reconciliation. We're asking you to choose one 24-hour block to intentionally pray and fast. 24 hours of just not eating and praying intentionally, aligning our desires for God's, exchanging our fears and anxiety around race and reconciliation, asking God for peace, asking God for wisdom, asking God for us to step out in the fullness and understanding of grace. Remember prayer is first and foremost the real work. So we'll pray that God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. We'll pray that as a community for 40 days that we can join together and really begin the work to do the real work. But right now I'm gonna also ask you, I'm gonna challenge you to rely on Christ through the full knowledge of grace. I want to ask you this question. How is God challenging you to fully know his grace intellectually and experientially when it comes to racial reconciliation? We're going to take some time and we're going to reflect. And I want you to do this.
I want you to ask these questions. Reflect on it, take some time. Is he asking you to join the next Be The Bridge cohort and have tough conversations around race and reconciliation? Is he calling you to be a voice in your familiar work, in your family or workplace, in your neighborhood? What do you already intellectually know that you have to put your belief in and step out of the boat to experience? So again, for the next few minutes, what I wanna ask you to do is ask that question, how is God challenging you to fully know his grace intellectually and experientially when it comes to race and reconciliation? And at the end of that time, I'm gonna give you just about a minute to put in the chat box um, some of those things that, that God's been challenging you and inviting you into. Missy, I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm so thankful that as a body, we're actually doing the work that we're gonna pray through this, that we're gonna learn how to walk together in racial reconciliation, that we're gonna be reconcilers. We already are doing the work. You're already doing the work. So lean in as a community and let's do some more. Let's do the hard stuff. Love you guys.